On one side of the clearing were the men in armor, men with knotty, unkempt beards and suspicious eyes. John Smith was there. So was Christopher Newport and a few others. On the opposite side were the men in skins, men with painted faces and hair spiked like hedgehogs. Powhatan, wearing a long robe embroidered with shells, lorded above them all. And in the middle, trying not to tremble, stood two boys. There had been a feast and a ceremony. The two parties had exchanged gifts. Captain Newport, recently from England, had presented the great chief a suit of clothes, a hat, and a greyhound, a skinny beast, confused and excited. Powhatan reciprocated and without a translator communicated his satisfaction. He then approached one of the boys, bare-skinned Namantak. He pushed the child in the direction of the beards. Captain Newport caught Thomas Savage's eye. He then addressed the chief. This is my son, he lied, Thomas Newport. Powhatan understood well enough and seemed pleased. The old man opened his arms and into them walked young Savage. It was February and his whole body shivered. I'm Brendan Wolfe, editor of Encyclopedia Virginia at Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. On this episode of Not Even Past, we meet an English boy who was snatched away from everything he knew and brought where? Well, the Indians called this land Senecomico. It covered much of what is today Tidewater, Virginia. Here, Powhatan ruled over between 28 and 32 tribes that hunted in its woods, fished in its rivers, and farmed in its fields. They also fought more than occasionally. It had been this way for hundreds of years. Then the English ships came. That was less than a year ago, in April 1607. They sailed into the bay and up the wide, salty river. There they disgorged their 104 men at possibly the most inhospitable spot in all of Senecomico, a narrow spit of land prone to tidal flooding and devoid of fresh water. Mosquitoes were known to practically carry grown men away. Unsurprisingly, it was empty of Indians, and occupying it didn't pose a threat to any nearby groups. In other words, by sheer stupid luck, the men in armor had found the one anchorage in Senecomico where they wouldn't have been killed immediately. They built a fort, explored the river and the bay, and quarreled with one another. Soon they began to die. Of the bloody flicks, according to the colonist George Percy, of the swelling, of a wound given by the savages, or in one instance, just suddenly. It was the water, mostly. Why else would no one live there? Powhatan watched the Englishmen carefully, feasting them in order to learn their ways and sometimes killing them to test their power. One of the beards, John Smith, brazenly stole grain from whole villages. Why do they not farm themselves? Powhatan wondered. Why are they such terrible hunters? Powhatan's brother, the foreign-looking Opie Chankano, captured Smith over the winter. 
Powden sat down with this man and saw someone for whom might was right. This made sense to Powhatan, so he set about impressing the Englishman with his own might. Although it was the cold season, he brought out the best and the richest of foods. He lectured about the known world, which he demonstrated by having one of his priests fashion three concentric circles around a central fire. My country, Powhatan indicated. The sea, your country. And then, cruelly perhaps, Powhatan staged a mock execution. He brought his prisoner out and laid his head on two great stones. One of the chief's daughters affected to save the beard, placing herself between him and the war clubs. Powhatan found the drama of it all satisfying. He again sat down with Smith, who was now in his debt. The old man offered him a title and the rule of a town. He offered, in other words, to make him family to make him an Indian. Smith refused, and at that moment, the chief realized they were more alike than he had first thought. Thomas Savage had been in Virginia only a month when he was given to Powhatan. He was 13. His parents were gone. That he had survived the punishing storms of the Atlantic was miracle enough. Now he was being asked to make another, far more profound crossing. The Englishman understood that he was still young enough to pick up the Indian language, that his immersion in their culture would prove useful. Powhatan expected the same from the bare-skinned Namantok. After a time, these boys would serve as translators, liaisons, and yes, spies too. Everyone understood this. It was all part of the bargain. So young Thomas accepted the embrace of the wrinkly old chief whose breath smelled of nuts and squirrel. He bent down and patted the greyhound. A savage among the savages, he might have thought, except that Captain Newport had claimed Thomas as his own in order to increase the boy's value. He was Thomas Newport, now twice removed from his original self. Thomas lived happily enough among the Indians of Senecomico. He learned the language. He ate from a kettle and walked the woods. When Powhatan needed to appear strong, he made sure to keep his Newport close for other men to see. When Powhatan was busy, Thomas helped the women with the crops. That first year, the old man sent him to James Fort to negotiate the release of some Indian captives. When he failed, Powhatan exploded in a fit of rage. Word was sent that Thomas should not return. By this time, Powhatan had become something of a father to him. How couldn't he have? But no sooner had Thomas begun to adjust to this latest change than Powhatan had sent his daughter, that same dramatic girl who had saved John Smith, to fetch him home. By the summer of 1609, peace was turning to war. It happened slowly and then quickly, the way a pot of water boils. The rains had not come, and everyone was hungry. Late in the season, English soldiers marched downriver. The idea was to negotiate for food, but they skirmished with the Indians instead. Fifty of the English were killed. The remainder laid waste to the Indian town. They burned the houses, ransacked the temples, and desecrated the corpses. Another English party traveled upriver. 
there was more fighting, another 60 English killed. In order to broker peace, John Smith presented the Indian chief with a 14-year-old boy named Henry Spellman. He sold me to him, was how Henry later put it, not without some bitterness. Henry and Thomas became friends. Henry came from a well-heeled family. He knew how to read and write. He knew his own mind in ways that perhaps Thomas did not. In November, Powhatan dispatched young Spellman to Jamestown with an invitation for the English to visit him at his new capital, Oropax. Captain John Ratcliffe and about 50 of his soldiers traveled to meet Powhatan. Instead of finding corn to trade, however, they walked into a bloody ambush. Ratcliffe was killed in the traditional way, by women using mussel shells. Appalled and feeling ill-used, Spellman fled. Thomas had been there too, but he stayed. What kept him there? Was it loyalty or lack of nerve? Or did Powhatan simply hold him a little closer? That winter, Powhatan cut off trade to the fort. He also ordered his warriors to restrict access to the surrounding woods, where the English might hunt or forage. It was not quite a siege in the conventional sense, but it had the same effect. Unconvinced his arrows could overcome English muskets, the great chief would let famine do the fighting for him. He would starve them out. Thomas traveled with the Indians on their winter pilgrimage deep into the woods. While his countrymen ate dogs, cats, mice, boots, and even each other, he feasted on lean deer, nuts, and cornbread. He stayed away from the fort, so he likely knew only some of the horrors that transpired there. He wasn't present when the English gathered together come spring, their remnant now a gaunt and exhausted 60, and decided to abandon Virginia. They buried their cannon, boarded their ship, and set sail down the river. They were happy to go. The Indians could have this land, and they could have Thomas, too. Thomas Savage, Thomas Newport, whoever he was. But then something truly remarkable happened. As they sailed downriver, they encountered another ship. They were reinforcements from England. A new governor, too, who ordered them to turn around. You're going back, he declared having no idea how hard that must have been to hear. At some point, Thomas decided to go back too. Late in the year, he invented an errand that took him to the fort, and there he stayed. Henry Spellman was living somewhere up north, but Powhatan's daughter Pocahontas came and went sometimes. From Powhatan, though, that old chief who had taken him in and taught him the world, Thomas kept clear. And how did Powhatan feel about that? Not too long after Thomas left, a bookish colonist transcribed the words to an Indian war song that had been heard. He spent some time working out the language and probably consulted Thomas for help. The song, they decided, brags of how the Indians have killed the English for their guns and their copper. In one verse, the third, they complained that they could have killed Thomas Newport, but they didn't. And yet he abandoned them anyway. Thomas Newport, the boy must have thought. Don't know him. I'm Thomas Savage now.
To read more about Thomas Savage, Senecomico, and Powhatan, go to encyclopediavirginia.org. Not Even Past is a member of the Teej.fm podcast network. Find out more at teej.fm. This podcast is produced by Miranda Bennett.